Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, friends, Romans, and taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at the Conservative Review. You could follow us at Blaze Media as well as CR's podcast page at YouTube, CR's YouTube page, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get the Conservative Review podcast. Make sure you share it with your friends. Um, There is a lot going on on this Tuesday. And uh, as always, we are going to focus on the things that we could actually influence. We, as common taxpayers that care about safety, security, the core jobs of government, while everything else should be left up to the private sector. Tonight, there's a Democrat debate. Now, if you consider yourself anyone who is to the right of communists, you shouldn't care about that debate. They're all the same. There's nothing we can do to affect the Democrat primary. They will pick who they pick. The key is that we have a bold contrast and a competing vision on our so-called side, which I don't consider myself a Republican because I don't even know what that is anymore. But we need an independent movement to combat what both parties are doing that really demonstrates everything you're going to hear on the stage tonight. If, if you are dumb enough to listen to it, which I'm certainly not going to tune in to that uh, Iowa debate. You know, one of the things, one of the determining factors in my view that demonstrates why we have one unibrow party, two sides of the same coin, is the issue of crime. Where Democrats throughout the country are ripping up criminal justice to shreds, letting out criminals left and right, bringing back the crime wave after two decades of hiatus. Not that we've ever solved it, but, you know, lower, lower crime. And Republicans join in with it. Republicans join in with it. Last October, Governor Bill Lee, the Tennessee governor, a state uh, Trump carried by about 30 points, said to a group of state lawmakers, Republican lawmakers, that agreed with him, quote, we can empty our jails in the same way that other states have done. I know we can do that. When you have red state Republican governors, and he's not unique, joining in with the left on issues that are A, policy-wise, devastating to the country, and B, politically, are stupid because you're missing an opportunity to win back the public and suburban voters and expose the radicalism of the left. I'm always told the whole point of politics is so more Republicans will win. All the shallow-minded Republicans tell me that. Well, so don't you want to win? The same governors that are promoting refugee resettlement. But somehow, my colleagues in this business, with all these fancy shows and you know Fox News, they never seem to get involved in the GOP debate that they can actually influence to provide a bold contrast to defeat what you claim you oppose 
being espoused in that Democrat debate. And again, one of the big things you're going to hear espoused in that Democrat debate is absolutely abolishing prison as they call criminal justice reform, where there is not a dime's worth of difference between the two parties. I want to broadly tie in jailbreak and crime today to a number of things that we're seeing. I want to tie in Baltimore, Jersey City, and the Pensacola terror attack. There is news in, on all three fronts that tie together to demonstrate the po following point. There's criminal control and there's gun control. If you focus on criminal control, and when I say criminal control, I mean identifiable threats, people with a known criminal background if they're domestic criminals, immigration enforcement for foreign national criminals, visa control for dangerous terrorists from overseas, simply not bringing them into our country. You do that, you will prevent most murder and mayhem, whether it be domestic, whether it be criminal alien gangs, whether it be Islamic terrorism, and whatever weapon of choice they use to engage in that terrorism, whether it's a knife, a handgun, a rifle, or a bomb. Because bad people kill. No particular weapon of any sort kills on its own. And almost all murderers are either repeat offenders or they're identifiable or they could be avoided, especially with foreign threats like terrorism. That's all immigration, illegal alien crime. That's all immigration enforcement, but certainly domestic crime. Obviously, we're stuck with the criminals we have in this country. You can't deport them or can't prevent them from coming. They're here, but usually they're repeat offenders. And if we actually locked up people commensurate with the severity of the crimes they commit, most murder would be prevented in this country. Yet Republicans like, like Bill Lee in Tennessee, much less Democrats, think we lock up too many people and they're just getting started on this, uh, this entire jailbreak agenda. So what was new yesterday? You look and you see the Jersey City attacker. Turns out the Jersey City attacker who we um, now know, based on the info from the FBI and the U.S. attorney from that area, they held a press conference. David Anderson and his girlfriend, who went to this kosher store in December, um, shot up a bunch of people, killed a cop. And they had a pipe bomb in a U-Haul truck parked right outside. It turns out that that bomb, according to, according to the local FBI office, had the ability to kill people within 500 yards of that bomb. And that they had a much broader plot planning to kill many more Jews, blow up the whole community there, targeting other Jewish targets. Um, and they had another bomb as well, or material to make another bomb. They didn't yet make it. This was a very serious issue. As we noted at the time, Anderson was charged with weapons offenses in 2004, in 2007, and 2011, yet he never spent a meaningful amount of time in prison. He mainly got probation. 
who was convicted on drug charges in December 2008, for which he served no time. 2009, he was arrested for domestic violence in Ohio. He spent just 30 days in jail. He was arrested again on domestic violence in 2011. And police also found an outstanding warrant from New Jersey in Ohio. And he got probation. At some point, he was sentenced to five years in prison in June 2011, yet he was released just four months later. In the state of New Jersey, you, police officers can't even carry hollow points. No one could own a hollow point. No one could own a magazine more than 10 rounds, which any full-size handgun comes with a magazine larger than that these days. Can't own anything. Can't carry anything. Yet, one after another, the worst terrorists could carry whatever they want. And again, the lesson here is, if not for the hand of God, this guy could have detonated a bomb that could have killed people within a radius of 500 yards. It's not a matter of any weapon. When you pursue gun control while letting out criminals, the criminals will always have access to, yes, guns and many other means of killing people, while the peaceful people will be denuded of their right to defend themselves against those people let out by the government, the government's dereliction of its core job of public safety. Let's move on to Pensacola. Attorney General Barr held a press conference announcing the results of the investigation into Al-Shamrani, the terrorist who um, killed a bunch of people at the naval base in Pensacola. Obviously, he called it a terror attack, which we knew. And he talked a little bit about the Saudi trainees. And in between the lines, there was clearly this defense of the program. Yes, the Trump administration is continuing to defend the notion of bringing endless numbers of foreign military trainees from countries like Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Turkey, Afghanistan, onto our military bases, much less continuing mass migration from the Middle East, mass foreign students from the Middle East. But listen to this. I jumped out of my seat when I saw this. So he said, while there was no evidence of assistance or pre-knowledge of the attack by other members of the Saudi military who are training in the United States, we did learn of derogatory material possessed by 21 members of the Saudi military who are training in the United States. 17 had social media containing some jihadi or anti-American content. However, there was no evidence of any affiliation or involvement with any terrorist activity or group. 15 individuals, including some of the 17 just mentioned, had some kind of contact with child pornography. While one of these individuals had a significant number of such images, all the rest had one or two images, in most cases posted in a chat room by someone else or received over social media. 
The relevant U.S. attorney's offices independently reviewed each of the 21 cases involving derogatory information and determined that none of them would, in the normal course, result in federal prosecution. However, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia determined that this material demonstrated conduct unbecoming an officer in the Saudi Royal Air Force and Royal Navy, and the 21 cadets have been disenrolled from their training curriculum in the U.S. military and will be returning to Saudi Arabia later today. What is wrong with that? Am I reading too much into this, or does it sound like even the ones that they found this stuff, really, they don't have any problem with it, but nonetheless, the Saudis want a certain conduct, so the Saudis are recalling them. I mean, maybe you could read it like, okay, the jihadist postings were one thing like that we want out, and then the pornography was separate. It's not downright criminal from our end, but it's enough the Saudis didn't want it. But it didn't really sound like, I mean, here's my question. Is it the view of the United States government, of the Trump administration, that when you find Saudi military trainees retweeting, I'm not saying having an overt ties to terrorism, although you never know until they strike out at you. It's the sentiment that matters. But they retweet, let's say, some anti-American jihadi imams or something in the Middle East. That that is not enough to remove them to, to, from the program? Is that their contention? Let me extrapolate that. These are for people training with our military on our bases. What about... I mean, if this is what we found retrospectively from these people... What about the 50, 55,000 Saudi students in civilian universities every year? What about the hundreds of thousands of immigrants and Saudi and, and students we bring in a year from countries with large presence of, of this mentality and terrorism? Do we not have a problem with that? I mean, there's a robust debate about High-skilled immigrants, low-skilled immigrants, what sort of immigrants we want to bring in, very important debates. But shouldn't we all agree that as a baseline, those coming into this country, they should at least love America? And if they don't, and we see that, and we look for it on social media, you don't get to come? You don't have a freedom of speech right to immigrate. You could talk all the trash you want about America in your home country. You have no right to immigrate. We're only going to bring in people accept our values. But again, this is another example. We stupidly bring in jihadists to this country. Another 100% avoidable tragedy. It turned out this guy, Al-Shamrani, he, he had these postings before he was let in in 2017. 100% avoidable. A bad person, whether it's a domestic bad person we should have locked up, whether it's a foreign domestic bad person, foreign bad person who should have been prevented from coming to this country. If they want to do harm, they will find a way to do harm. Instead, what we do is. So many blue states continue. To denude us of our right to carry and the federal government blocks our own soldiers from carrying on bases. Yet nothing is done. These are all things that Trump could deal with right now. Right now. 
These are all things that if you had the lineup of Fox show hosts and heavy-duty pro-Trump conservative figures on Twitter saying, Mr. President, you promised the moratorium, you promised to get rid of the gun-free zones on bases, now's the time to fulfill that? You know what? 90% chance he'll do it. Instead, here's my hot take on Elizabeth Warren. Then you have Baltimore. 12 people shot five dead in just one day of shootings. Just one day of shootings. This is after they set a record last year. As we well know, in Baltimore, the average homicide offender has 10 prior arrests. Barely serves time in jail. Most death, most murder in this country is avoidable. Most terrorism in this country is avoidable. A significant amount of murder, as we noted, at least 2,500 of the 9,000 arrested for homicide a year are illegal aliens based on ICE detainer data. Avoidable. We enforced our laws. But we don't. When are we going to have a movement on public safety? I mean, with the Democrats talking about all this stuff with gun control, we have such an opportunity to hit them right in the face. USOBs, you are the very people who let out the most violent criminals who have assaulted people with guns and have been caught with weapons violations. You let them out so they can go and beat people up on the street. Oh, and by the way, you can't defend yourself. You know, you guys have been great in the audience sending me stories of, you know, victims of crime, victims of illegal aliens, stories that aren't being reported. And I really appreciate it. And I've done a lot of articles. And uh, one of our listeners from Georgia sent me this story. We've written a lot, thanks to this listener, um, I believe Brian, on Georgia. You know, Georgia has just as bad jailbreak as New York. Maybe not quite as bad, and it's not codified into law. But even the states that don't have the law demanding release on, you know, release, a lot of the judges are setting very low bail or no bail for these people. I want to talk to you about a very dangerous phenomenon we, we referenced a little bit last week with Raphael Manuel from the Manhattan Institute on the amalgamation of two things going on right now in the criminal justice world. There's many things, but these two in particular, abolishing bail or letting violent people out, repeat offenders on low bail so they're out on the streets. Then you have a backlog in the courts because they refuse to fund any more enforcement, any more prisons. They don't want to build them. So they say overcrowding. So you have to let them out. Oh, well, you can't hold people because it's too long to get to trial, but no funding for that. So therefore, they get released. And then they simultaneously have laws requiring more disclosure to the defendant the information about the victims and witnesses. And even without those laws, if they're out, a lot of people don't realize they think, oh my gosh, you're letting this repeat violent robber, assault, drunk driver out on bail. He's going to do it again. And that's true. And they do it again. But what also happens is when they're out on bail, it becomes harder eventually when you get to the trial of the first offense 
to land a conviction because the witnesses and victims, guess what? They get intimidated because the guy's out. That is not a bug. That's a feature of criminal justice reform. In Georgia, this guy, Paul Sherwood Lyle Jr., 2017, he was arrested in Clayton County on charges of child molestation and sexual battery against a child under the age of 16. He was released on just 75,000 bond. And that usually means that you only have to post like 7,500 in, in cash. Now, you would think those charges enough would be serious to at least have a higher threshold for, for bail, but no. According to the court records that I found in my notes here, just looking at his record in Georgia and South Carolina, Lyle racked up several dozen criminal charges at that point already over the previous two decades. Burglary, theft, criminal trespassing, assault, making terrorist threats um, at some point, um, multiple hit and run accidents. That was a hallmark, a lot of driving offenses. He was even arrested for a hit-and-run incident earlier this year, meaning after he was out on, on bond. But again, whether people are out on parole following a post-conviction early release, whether they're out on bail and pre-trial conviction, um, we can't add to the jail or prison population. So even when they violate the terms of their release, nothing happens. Fast forward to last Wednesday, and Lyle was arrested by sheriff's deputies in Clayton County again for trying to intimidate the very victim of that original child molestation charge. It's from the sheriff's office. While Adam Bond, Lyle made contact with another minor, a 15-year-old, and convinced the minor to go to the home of the victim of the previous incident and attack them in an attempt to intimidate the witness. The sheriff's fugitive squad caught the guy Quote, while standing at an elementary school bus stop with no justifiable, justifiable reason for being there, according to police, the police notice that they put out um, from the sheriff's department, it is to be noted that the subject was found to have a bottle of pink fingernail polish in his pocket. We can only speculate as to why. Now, at least now he is being held. We saw that before in Georgia, whether or not, if this would happen in New York, he wouldn't be held. But this is the deal. This is what it, this is happening in Georgia. It's happening in Tennessee. It's happening in Oklahoma. This is the rule, not the exception. This is not like some crazy case I'm bringing up to you. These are just the ones I see. What they're doing now is, you know, the population grows. So there's certain things government shouldn't be doing, but there's certain things, you know, you need more fire, you need more EMS, you need more police, you need more certain things, right? No one has problems constantly dumping more money at the failed educa public education system. But when it comes to the most basic need of government, when I say basic, I mean things that the private citizens are not empowered to do, they can't do. Like on a federal level, they can't do border security, counterterrorism, foreign policy, and a military, right? They can't do that. On a local level, they can't do law enforcement. That just, that they can't do that. Private people, if you didn't have the government crowding out, could do education. They could do agriculture. They could do business. 
They can't do incarceration. They can't do the judicial system and trials. So you, as the population grows, you need more money into prisons and you need more money put into the judicial system at a county state level so you could clear the backlog. And these people are, you know, the cases are disposed of in a timely fashion. To say, oh, Daniel, you can't hold someone pre-conviction for three. This happened in 2017. But then that's a problem. Then you need to put more money into it. Again, the answer to trying to make a left turn and there's a bunch of cars coming and I can't do it. The, the answer is to either put a light in there or for, to, to take a different route. The answer is not to say, I'm going to make a left turn anyway. And crash. Oh, I'm just going to let out violent criminals. So that's the story here in Georgia. Let's move on to New York. Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee said what? He said he wants to empty our jails in the same way that some other states have done. I know we can do that. <laughs> well, let, let, let's, let's see what the most notorious state has done in terms of criminal justice reform. These are just a handful of cases I've taken notes on. There's a lot more. Jonathan Armin Flores Maldonado, 27-year-old resident of Long Island. He just graduated from, um, uh, from school. He was going into the medical field. He was killed Sunday as a result of jailbreak, as a result of New York's law. Jordan Randolph, a 40-year-old guy, he had 12 prior criminal convictions. Numerous assaults. He had a robbery conviction, drugs, three DWIs. He was arrested January 1st for not complying with the court-ordered um, ignition interlock device that you know uh, DWI offenders are supposed to put into their cars. Yet the judge said, there's nothing I can do. I'm forced to release him because of the new law. Despite five prior failures to um, appear in court. Five times. So you say, all right, this first chance, let's give him a chance. No, five times. And the judge claimed that the law prevented him from even, you know, putting an ankle monitor on him. Well, this past Sunday, he's accused of crashing into Flores Maldonado, um, who appears to be a, you know, from a legal immigrant family and fatally wounding him and he's dead. Guess what? He was released from, from jail even after that. Then you have the case of Eugene Webb. A lot of violent homeless people. Homelessness is coming back to pre-Giuliani era in New York, but many other places. HUD just put out a report showing that New York is the number one homeless state now. Doesn't take a genius to figure out why. This guy has a penchant for randomly punching, beating women on the street, just randomly, not even trying to get cash or something. Um, he had a history of beating up women on the street, all sorts of you know criminal records on all sorts of things, um, which include forced touching of a woman, by the way, fairly recently, of which he barely served time in prison. Last Wednesday, he was arrested for seriously assaulting two women within a period of a few hours in Greenwich, uh, um, 
village that's supposedly, you know, a highfalutin area. Um, and look, this is what it's going to take. It's got to get into the better neighborhoods. A woman was randomly walking when he, uh, this guy punched her in the face, knocked out two teeth, um, and then he punched and kicked another woman near Grand Central Terminal in Manhattan. Um, he was he was released immediately. A day later, he was arrested by police again for reckless end endangerment, disorderly conduct, criminal possession of a controlled substance, and obstructing a governmental official. Of course, he was let go again. Jared Woodbury. This guy was arrested for robbing four banks in Manhattan since December 30th. He was released last Thursday. The very next day, he robbed the fifth bank. And he was released. There's simply no deterrent. I mean, this is what's happening. There's no deterrent. There's no deterrent against committing crime. There's no deterrent against not showing up at court arraignments. There's no deterrent. Now, remember that guy caught a couple weeks ago in December in that viral video, sucker punching a cop? Um, it was in Queens, I think, one of the, the New York boroughs. Um, and then, you know, pinning him to the ground. And a lot of people noted there was this female cop, like, doing nothing about it. And a lot of people have their opinions on that. I'll leave that aside for now. Um, anyway, well... That man, Stephen Haynes, you should know, was just released. He was released. And guess what? He had a court date on Monday. He failed to appear. Seneca County, moving more upstate New York, Dustin Parker in December was arrested for beating someone so seriously he had to spend numerous days in the hospital. After being released on his own recognizance, Parker was arrested again for violating a protective order and confronting that same victim. Just like we talked about, just as we predicted, you let them out, where are they going to go? Where's their first stop? To the very victim to ensure that, that that guy or woman victim is never going to testify. Now, as we note a lot, a lot of crimes that are reported as typical domestic hits, domestic crimes, they're really committed by illegal aliens. New York, you now have this toxic mix, and, and elsewhere too, of jailbreak and sanctuaries with, with the federal government, the Justice Department, doing nothing about it. That's a whole other thing we're going to get into. New York now has a law as part of their other law, the jailbreak law, they were requiring all the county police agent, any police agency, to sign an affidavit that they will not communicate with ICE as a condition for them accessing the DMV system. That is a direct violation of 8 U.S.C. 1373, which um, prohibits governments from restricting law enforcement uh, collaboration with, with uh, federal immigration officials. They need to be arrested. Won't happen. Nothing. So anyway, remember you saw that picture. Some of you might have seen another viral story. A 92-year-old woman found dead, bleeding in the street in Queens. Terribly tragic. I mean, how often do you see that a 92-year-old woman just dead on the street like that? 
People were wondering, was it an accident? Did she just die? Well, it turns out the suspect is Riaz Khan, a 21-year-old illegal alien from Guyana. And it turns out it was a mixture of jailbreak and sanctuaries put together. Talk about an avoidable murder two times over. It turns out he was arrested before that, a couple weeks before, November 27th, for assault and criminal possession of a weapon. Remember, no one's allowed to carry in New York, except if you're a violent criminal who's caught carrying, you get released. He was released. ICE had a detainer on him. They said, screw you, released him anyway. So he should have been released. He should have been held because of the severity of his crime. Should have been held and uh, so ICE could get him because he's an illegal alien cr- criminal. So let go. This woman who lived past the average age, undoubtedly through a lot of trials and tribula- tribulations in life, 92 years old, cut down by this repeat offender illegal alien who was in the hands of law enforcement just days prior. 100% avoidable. 100% avoidable. The ultimate pro-life position is to be tough on crime, tough on immigration, tough on terrorism. Because ultimately what it means to be pro-life is to do everything that is humanly possible, but particularly as it intersects with public policy and the core jobs of government to protect human life. We're not God. We can't prevent all death and mayhem and murder. But certainly a lot of it is avoidable because most bad things are committed either by people that have a record of doing it or by people with red flags or that there are policies that we could implement that could easily stop it, like with foreign national criminals. Well, if you bring in hundreds of thousands of people from the Middle East, well, you're bringing in terrorism. We don't need to be doing that. That is the true pro-life position. All these phony evangelical groups, Catholic groups, Jewish groups, phony, phony groups that are getting, um, you know, all these governors to bring more refugees, all these governors say, oh, Jesus wants second chances, second chances. We have 50 chances in our criminal justice system. That is not pro-life, that's pro-death. I'm sick of it. So again, when you hear, oh, this is de Blasio, this is New York Governor Cuomo doing this. No, this is almost every Republican governor buying onto this craziness as well. Just drives me nuts. I'm I'm sick of this already. We need a national movement to combat jailbreak. We need a national movement to combat sanctuary cities. We need a national movement to combat civilization self-immolation of bringing in hundreds of thousands of unvetted people from the Middle East. All of these policies are 100% redressable. It would prevent so much danger. And that is the number one job of the state and federal governments, respectively, with those issues. Yet they do everything they're not supposed to do. They get involved in everything they're not supposed to do. Oh, and all, all the while, denude us of our rights to defend ourselves. What's not a right, they put into the Constitution, a right to immigrate. What is a right? Self-defense for American citizens. 
vitiated overnight. Flood this country with endless migrants from the Middle East. Flood this country with MS-13 and drugs, illegal immigrants. Open up the jails from domestic criminals. And strip us of our right to defend ourselves. Imagine if we had a party running on that mantra. I mean, countering that mantra. But pinning that tail on the donkey. Pinning that amalgamation of evil policies on Democrats. And driving home those points every single day. But I don't see it. I don't see it at all. This is the problem we have. But all you hear from Republicans, people like Mike Lee, and many of these Republican governors running around with all these reformed criminals. Oh, they've been shafted. They're the victims. They turn them into rock stars. But they'll never talk about any of these cases, the millions of cases of the most violent offenders and the victims of those people who are needlessly victimized because, as Reagan said, the system failed them. That's the thing. One of the, one of the things I hope to do over the year is to have victims of, of crime on the show, victims of illegal immigrants. And look, if you know people in the audience, send me an email at dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Um, tweet me at armconservative. Uh, we'd like to hear your story because no one else in politics really does. You know, one, one more case I'm just thinking of here. One more case here. This is from freebeacon.com, one of the few websites that actually does focus on jailbreak. In August 1996, 13-year-old Richeza Williams was found dead in a Pennsylvania cemetery. Her burned and beaten body dumped in a cardboard box after she was tortured with household items, including a heated clothes hanger, cleaning chemicals, and a turkey baster. Corey uh, Mayweather admitted to authorities that he participated in the brutal crime, appearing, quote, void of emotion in a video as he described the victim's screams and cries for help. Mayweather said he was not directly involved in the young girl's death, instead confessing to retrieving the torture devices for two co-conspirators. He pleaded guilty to criminal homicide and kidnapping and was sentenced to life without parole. More than two decades later, top Democrats are seeking to ease the process for criminals like Mayweather to walk free. Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman has called to end life sentences for anyone who did not directly take another's life, which could commute the sentences of more than 1,500 inmates convicted of serious crimes. And by the way, remember, many of those who ultimately did, this is what they plead down to. You only get them on this. And it's, it's a good article we'll link to in show notes here. But I'm just telling you, don't think this is just happening in New York and, and San Francisco. This is happening in all 50 states. We have let it happen. We have been complacent for at least a decade on crime. And this is all happening. It, it is shocking to me how we don't have a robust voice for the victim anymore. Trump was supposed to be that man. He campaigned that way. He has that potential. But because of our complacency, Jared turned another way. Once in a while, I'll still speak out, say some of our talking points. Very weak. Having the president be a bully pulpit 
on crime, having the Justice Department have a commission on victims of crime like Reagan did. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but these are things he can do. Push for mandatory minimums, which have been gutted by the courts. If you don't want to do drug traffickers, at least gun, federal gun offenders, totally trap the Democrats on their messaging on gun control. Actually go after sanctuary cities. Deny them funding. These are all things we could do. Stop bringing in more people from the Middle East, like we said yesterday, and gun-free zones. But you know, the only thing the president did on guns, ironically, is banning bump stocks and retroact uh, um, did one other thing, but retroactively banned uh, bump stocks as, as machine guns, which was unconstitutional in many ways. It violated the takings clause because it retroactively, ex post facto, criminalized the possession of those items that were lawfully purchased. That's the only thing the Fed, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's the only thing the Trump administration has done on guns. It doesn't have to be this way. I don't say this to talk down the president. I say this because he could go in the opposite direction. But if we sit and focus on the soap opera and, oh, look, look what the Democrats are doing, while the Republicans, including the Trump administration, often does many of these things to various degrees and various levels, what's the point? That's what this program is all about. But in order for our voice to be heard, I need you guys to step up. I need you guys to A, join in and calling your local officials, county, state officials, your congressional representative, your senator. Demand action on some of these issues. If you're in Texas, thank Greg Abbott for not giving in to the refugee scam. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. We have a really good article out from yesterday, uh, I, the governor looks like he retweeted the article. Um, and yes, I need you to disseminate this show to everyone you know. Tell them about where to find us. Conservative Review YouTube page, conservativereview.com for our written articles. If you like reading things in written form, follow me at armconservative. Tweet, tweet at me there. I don't you know, I'm not one of these crazies that's on Twitter all day that sees everything, but often I'll see it. Or you can email me, dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Send me your ideas. Send me your guest ideas. Let's make this a collaborative movement. It's not just about one person. I hate when you have these shows. It's all about the guy's personality. Let's actually accomplish something here, all right? Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.